I, I want to uh, direct our thoughts now before we pray to an aspect of prayer in unity. And uh, I don't have a really catchy title or some way to sum this up, and maybe Stephen can think of one for me <laughs> before he posts this. But essentially, I want to talk about uh, how when God's people pray in unity, that God's answer can reflect and reinforce that unity. This is an idea that we've touched on, I think, time and time again here in United Prayer. Um, Jesus said, for example, my sheep hear my voice and they recognize it. They know my voice. But, you know, that could leave some of us asking exactly how does that happen? Like, what do you, what do you mean by, you know, his voice? And then think about in a, in a corporate setting, how does a body of people recognize his voice? If the, if the answer comes to one person, how does everyone else leave assured that that was his voice? I want to learn from um, one example of this in the scripture, how the Lord places his voice imprint in prayer. In, in one instance, we find this in 2 Chronicles 20. Let's turn there together. This is the episode of Jehoshaphat and Judah facing this unwinnable threat from three armies that have allied together, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Meonites, all band together, and they're coming against Judah. Now, we've looked at this chapter, uh, I don't know how many times in United Prayer. I've lost count. So for the sake of brevity and just for focus, I'm going to assume that you are familiar with the whole story here or that you can read on your own uh, after this. I want to just focus our attention on this aspect of unity in prayer and unity in answer. Okay. So the beginning of Second Chronicles 20 lays the scene of these three armies coming against Judah. And um, the king responds by calling the whole kingdom to prayer. And so I want to notice, again, just in verse 4, how God's imprint is seen in the way that the people prayed together. In verse 4, all Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities they came to seek the Lord. They didn't just pray from home. They didn't say, oh, you're getting, you're getting together to pray at such and such an hour. Fine, uh, I won't come, but I'll be sure to pray at the same time at home, so I'm with you in spirit. No, they understood it was it was important at that occasion to be in the same place. And that makes a difference. Because later on in the chapter, verse 13 even, we, we get some dem demographics here. Uh, in verse 13, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives and their children. So none of the heads of families were missing. None of the families were missing. Even the children came. I mean, think about this. How often are children left out of united prayer in our settings? In fact, I would ask this question to us. Have you ever been in a meeting where children lead in prayer? That's really unusual. 
almost unthinkable. But you know what? It has happened in times of revival. The Lord's Spirit poured out has laid hold of young children as much as or more than it has laid hold of, of their parents. Uh, this 24-hour prayer that's going to start tonight, it's an opportunity both to teach and to learn from the next generation who prays. Let's be aware of that and be expectant. So everyone came, and then in verse 5, the king actually leads out in prayer. And I, I won't read out his prayer as recorded there, but we'll look at some aspects of it in a moment. But this, the thing I want to note here is, okay, you, we all know how hard, next to impossible it seems, to get people together to pray. That's why I think what's happening right now on your screens, this meeting is highly unusual. And I think can be explained by nothing other than the Lord is doing something among us. Okay. And that's the same is true of what we read in Judah happening here. The fact that people came together in the way they came together is part of God's imprint. Like this spells out his fingerprint. Unity in prayer is not taken for granted. And I think all of you would agree it's possible to have many people together in a room where prayer is happening, and yet there is no unity in prayer, right? It's possible. So not taken for granted. But when you have a very manifest and special unity, such as we read of here in Second Chronicles, that is the imprint of God in that he is moving people and pulling them together to pray. So secondly, I want to look at God's imprint in how he answers them in a united way, in a together way. The Lord answers the assembly through a man named Jehaziel, not through King Jehoshaphat. And he answers in a way that required the assembly of his people altogether. And I think this is a great way that the Lord works out the beauty of unity in, in body life. In verse 18, we read that uh, the, the reaction, the, the Spirit spoke through this Levite priest and told all the people, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. The Lord will be with you. And if you... If you're like me and you read this and you kind of imagine, um, you imagine this happening in your context, then some questions begin to bubble up pretty quick for me. Um, I know that there would be a reaction of possibly of skepticism. And even from me, right? We're praying for something. Somebody gets an answer from the Lord. And the skeptic might ask, well, hold on. How do I know God spoke to you? Like, God didn't say that to me. How do I know this answer is for us all? But if you look at what happened in Judah there, after, after God gives 
his answer through the spirit, Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and so did all the other inhabitants who were assembled. And then all the worship leaders stood up to praise the Lord and led the congregation in that. I think that they, they, the response of worship that came from everyone, it shows that at least in this instant, that there was an agreement and a common conviction in the truth that this answer is from God and it is directive to all of us. And I'm going to, I'm going to accept what, what this man, Jehaziel heard and relayed to us. I accept that as the answer of God, but then there's something very precious that happens here. Um, the chronicler here, when he names Jehaziel as the conduit for God's answer in verse 14. He doesn't just give his name. He, he doesn't say, then someone stood up in the crowd, some, some nameless, faceless guy, and said, hey, I have an idea of what we can do. No, he gives his name and his, his pedigree, his ancestry, to six generations why? Why does he do that? And this is where I want to see if I can draw out something extraordinary about how God put his fingerprint on the way he answered this prayer. Um, if you read that genealogy that starts in verse 14, it goes all the way, um, it traces him to being a, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, at the end of the verse there. And Asaph is, is a family or a clan that wrote many of the Psalms that we have today in Scripture. And I wonder if one reason is, is possibly to, is to show that this, this Levite comes from a line of people who were known to be close and to hear the voice of the Lord. This, this man comes from the line of, of Asaph. And, and we know God speaks. God speaks through them. But I also want to show you, I mean, so that, that answer is just a little bit of my surmising. It's not, it's not explicit in, in the scripture. But um, I, I also want to show you some a further answer in the way that uh, how the praying interweaves with the manner of answer in God's voice here. And, and this takes, it picks up some things from Jehoshaphat's prayer and the Lord's answer. So Jehoshaphat's prayer beginning in verse six uh, begins by affirming the sovereign power of God. And the king acknowledges that, God, you sit on the throne and you are totally in charge here, okay? This is, this is not, this situation is not surprising to you, but as, as you'll see in his um, prayer, it's, it's, it's a crisis for us, okay? It doesn't negate the, the urgency of the situation, but he begins by acknowledging God's sovereign power. Um, look in verse 7. He says, 
um, God, did you not give this land forever to the descendants of, your, of Abraham, your friend? He's essentially saying to God, don't you remember your, your covenant to Abraham? Remember. And then verse 8, that the descendants of Abraham came into this land and they lived here and they built for you a, sanct a sanctuary for your name. So that's the temple where, he, where they're all gathered at the moment. It's like all of this stuff, like the fact that we're here and the fact that we built this temple, this is like, this is on you, Lord. This was your idea. It wasn't our idea. But then in verse 10, he says, he points at the problem. He says, now behold, look, right? Look, God, at the situation. The men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, behold, they're coming to reward us by driving us out of your possession, which you gave us to inherit. And he adds in there a very interesting fact, just, just reminding the Lord of, of the course of history. Um, he said, we had an opportunity at one point to, 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 to fight them, but you would not allow us. You would not allow us to go and oppose these people. And now it's coming around full circle to threaten us. And this is really interesting, right? Because Jehoshaphat's saying, we're here in this land because of you, because of the covenant. These opponents are, are able to threaten us today because you didn't allow us to, 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 to fight them back then. And so now we can't fight them. And it's a big problem. Essentially, Lord, you were in control of this whole situation from the beginning. Now, what, what, what are you going to do? How can you deliver us? And of course, the Lord answers and says, I'm going to own this battle. I am going to take this battle. You don't even need to fight. And if I'm just going to jump, jump over the details of what happened in verse 25, the next day when, when the enemy was completely defeated and just corpses lying all over the fields, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, he found among them such great numbers of goods and clothing and precious things that they, they, they took it until they couldn't take any more. They couldn't carry any more. And it was so much, the spoil was, that it was three days in the gathering. Three days in the gathering. So here's, here's where I see this precious interweaving. Um, knowing these elements of Jehoshaphat's prayer, I want you to look at the genealogy of this man, Jehaziah. Because the, the chronicler gives the, the names of these fathers for a reason. Verse 14, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Jehaziel means beheld, beheld of God. And that was Jehoshaphat's prayer, wasn't it? He laid it out and he said, God, behold, like, don't you see, Lord? 
And in the answer, by, by choosing the man through whom his spirit spoke, the Lord was saying, I do behold. I see Jehaziel, God sees. God beholds the threat that faces you now. Jehaziel was the son of Zechariah. And that name is meaningful too, right? Every time you see a Hebrew name that ends in L, that's the name of God in one form. Names that end in I-A-H, Yah, that's the form where we get Yah, Yah, Yahovah or Yahweh. That's also a form of, of using God in, in a name of a person. Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. And that's as if to answer Jehoshaphat's prayer, you know, don't you remember your covenant, Lord? You brought, a, you gave Abraham this land and you brought us here to build this temple. Remember? And God is answering through Zechariah, Yahweh does remember. Yes, I remember what you did. I remember my promise to Abraham and the covenant to give you this land. Zechariah was the son of Beniah, which means Yahweh has built. And that, I see, is a direct answer to Jehoshaphat invoking the promise of, of giving Canaan as an inheritance and building up the temple, building up a sanctuary for his name, building up the kingdom of God. Yahweh has built, and he's reaffirming that, yes, this whole enterprise of the nation of Israel is my undertaking. I'm building this. And then he's the son, Benaiah is the son of uh, Jael, which means God sweeps away. Jehoshaphat acknowledged that they're powerless against this great horde. They reward us, he says, by coming to drive us out, to sweep us away of your possession. And God is saying, by answering through Jael, watch me sweep away this enemy. Like tomorrow, you won't even recognize the situation you're in. I'm just going to sweep them away. And then the last two names, Mataniah, from where we get a name like Matthew, means the gift of God. And the sons of Asaph, that was the clan whose name means to gather. God was saying, watch in the way that I deliver you. Tomorrow, I'm going to give you a gift that is so huge, you won't even be able to gather up the abundance. The spoil will be so large. Of course, that is exactly what happened. So in the lineage of the men through whom the Spirit spoke, God gave the message that reflected the prayer that Jehoshaphat made, and it reflected the deliverance that God was about to, to give them. So in there's God's voice print. It, you know it's him because in the nature of the answer itself, it can only be God. <laughs> his voice, like the psalmist says, his voice is like the sound of many waters. It's like surround sound. When he speaks, you hear it with your ears. Oh, yeah, but you also know it in your mind. You feel it in your bones. You are convinced of it in your heart. And so is everyone else around you. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. That's what the scripture is talking about. Now, this is possible 
it happened here in the 20th chapter, but I, I recognize it doesn't always happen. In fact, I would say it seldom happens. It's not the norm. And we can grapple ourselves with why that is the case. But my, my question and our, the, what I want to put on our hearts today is, do we look for it? Do we pray with the expectation that God can give a directive word to his people with such clarity and certainty that everyone says, yes, that's the voice of the Lord. And we bow down in worship and we await the Lord's miraculous deliverance the next day. In times of crisis, corporate crisis, do we, do we expect too little in our praying? What if the Lord would answer this way tonight during the 24-hour prayer or at BJU? This is one way in the, which the Lord places his voice imprint in our praying. So I hope, brothers and sisters, you're encouraged by that. And we can come now before the Lord.